Hello everyone, it's 6 o'clock and time for our Sunday evening Bible study. We're back with you tonight looking at understanding Acts chapter 2 where, (coughs) excuse me, we're trying to address some inaccurate understanding in the message of the Holy Spirit. I hope you have looked in on our first two uh, parts of this because in those parts information was shared that more than likely you haven't heard before and um an understanding was given um, as to exactly uh, what was going on um, during the time when they were in the upper room, whose voice those outside the upper room were hearing, what was it they were hearing all in there. You do not want to miss this. So we want to welcome those from around the world who will be joining us either by podcast or Facebook and uh, uh, we want to say you can contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. Don't forget about my book. It's in on Amazon and in your local bookstore, I Surrender. Father, I thank you for the Word of God. Open our eyes that we can see and our ears that we can hear. And our heart that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us. And then, Father... May we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Jesus, speak to us tonight. And as you do, we will uh, find out what you want us to know, do, understand, and demonstrate. From there, we will receive it and release it to your people, and we'll be corrected and blessed and given a great transition to be even more like you. We praise you in Jesus' name, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Now, as we shared in lesson one, God always works ahead of the problem. His means for doing this has always been, always been the release of the Holy Spirit. I'll show you a little bit more about that. We identify this as we see the Holy Spirit being released into Jerusalem prior to the fall of Jerusalem to the Roman Empire in 70 CE. Now, how can we know that the statement of Jesus, as recorded in John 17, 20 through 24, gives us continued assurance that the Holy Spirit of which uh, would come through the apostles and be generated in us, through Paul's ministry, would be available to us to be able to work ahead of our problems. Well, we base that upon Jesus' teaching that we have concerning that assurance. Now, if we base it on man's teaching that tells you the operation of the Holy Spirit is done, And he will not do anymore what he did during the apostles' age, Jesus' time, or the disciples' age. Then, my friend, based on man's teaching, you have no other hope than being just being saved. You have no means for the Holy Spirit to do work in the environment to where the mountains of life that Zechariah told us about in Zechariah 4, could be brought down to a plain. By man's teaching, everything that God has unveiled in the last hundred plus years 
have all just been happenstance. Because I'm going to show you tonight in depth every time the Holy Spirit moved and what the society was doing just after the Spirit of God was released. Interesting. Look at the Scripture from uh, John 17. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Right there is Jesus giving the assurance that what he is teaching them in John 14, 15, and 16 concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit is being passed through the ages generation by generation to those who would believe on the words of those who were given the task of continuing to do and to teach what Jesus began to do and to teach. So our assurance that through ages until Jesus returns that the Holy Ghost will be working ahead of the problem uh, as the one who is sent by Jesus Christ for that purpose and he will be speaking Jesus' words into the issues of life has been produced for us by the language of Jesus Christ. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us. Who is they? It's everybody of whom he's praying for. Who's he praying for? Well, he's praying for not them alone, but he's praying for all of those others who are going to believe on him through their word. Uh, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now that's critical. That the world may be able to see that thou hast sent me. I'll show it to you. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. Huh, isn't that something? As we found out from Ezekiel 10, the glory of the Lord filled the house. The brightness of the glory of the Lord filled the house. And they, coming into that area of smoke, as we equated it to the tabernacle in the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord filling that house, and them speaking in a language uh, of an utterance by the Holy Spirit, and those on the external, not hearing what they were speaking, but hearing the cherubim as it declared the wonderful works of God, which to them sounded like the almighty voice of God. And the glory, he said, which I have given them, that they may be one as we are one. Then he says, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me, as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Now we're talking about an eternal glory, a heavenly glory, which thou hast given me. Now watch this. In the first glory phase, he spoke to them about giving them glory, which had been given him while he was here, so that they could know that, that the Father and the Son were one and they could be one with Him. Then He says, so that they can be with Me, that they can walk with Me and follow Me 
into the place where I am because they're, so that they can see the glory that you gave me from the foundation of the world. We're talking about two different glories. See, one time we're talking about Jesus' glory as he ministered. The second time we're talking about the glory of the man in the Godhead bodily. The glory that he had with the Father from the foundation of the world. Quite clear. As I mentioned, Jesus included everyone who would believe on him through the words of the apostles in John 17, 20. In believing those who came through the witness of the apostles were to be one with him in relation to the relationship of the Father and the Son. They were to receive the glory which was given Jesus and then they were to be there to see the glory which he had as the uh, uh, being in the Godhead from the foundation of the world and be with him there. Connecting Ezekiel chapter 10 to Acts chapter 2, we identify that the glory of God was in fact taken into the house and distributed to the inhabitants of the house. Now Jesus could be in them as his Father was in him. This action made them perfect and in oneness with the Father and the Son through the Spirit. But why? What was the purpose? That the world may know. This was the reason that they could receive this glory and become witnesses unto him. The world needed to know that Jesus was sent, was sent by the Father for the purpose of expressing his love for them. This love would be exposed by the glory of which they, could, they would receive. What a beautiful picture of his purpose with respect to every believer who would follow him due to the witness that the apostles brought. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou gavest me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants them to be where he is, under another glory, which is the glory that he had from the foundation of the world. So Paul then turns around and says in the book of Ephesians, we're both accepted in the beloved and seated in heavenly places. So in spiritual terms, we are with him and we are where he is. Isn't that wonderful? As he is, so am I. But there's more provided here that we need to grasp. It's the idea of the glory that Ezekiel shows us in chapter 10. The requirement to behold or see his glory. Now wait. These men and women were to witness, to be witnesses, and Jesus prayed for them to be a witness. He said, neither I pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. The glory was not the glory that would be shared during the everlasting life where we would see the glory that he had from the foundation of the world. We'll be in his presence and worship him, that glory one day soon. We'll worship and say worthy, say holy. We'll shout hallelujah, glory to God, when we gather with him and share his presence for eternity. His glory 
will be all that's required when we see him in the glory that he had with God from the foundation of the world. But the glory that he's talking about with regards to the apostles and the disciples and those who would believe based upon their word was a residing glory. It was an indwelling glory. It was a glory of companionship. It was a glory that would be pronounced in them so that they could witness and share their word concerning Jesus Christ. From there, the word would be generated from believer to believer to believer who would also process the residing, the indwelling, and the glory of his companionship. That, my friend, is a constant, consistent, and confident ministry of the power, presence, and purpose of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. From here, they would witness concerning him because... He would witness from them. Think about that. What an existence. What a connection that the natural can make to the spiritual. And God has designed that for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Now watch this. If there were anything else meant by this statement concerning his glory being given to him and shared in two different dimensions, Jesus would have referred would not have referred to the glory in the first case that was given to him, and in the second case, that was the glory of the Godhead. My God. Where was it given? It was given while he lived and while he ministered to show the world the Father. This glory was shared with Jesus before the foundation of the world. That is the eternal element of his glory. The ministry element of his glory was shared to him while... You guessed it. He was ministering. It was also shared with his followers while they went about telling the good news of Jesus Christ. Now someone will inevitably say, see, it was for the apostles' ministry. Read verse 20 and you'll see how this ministry was perpetuated. They told the story to others and they believed the story the apostles told. We're going to address the idea of perpetuation now as we continue. But as we mentioned, God has revealed a heightened sense of engagement with the Holy Spirit. And we don't know what's going on in other places around the world. We, we know that there is heightened engagement with the Holy Spirit in other places around the world because we hear them telling us the great and mighty signs, wonders, and miracles that are exceeding what is going on in America. We had a, a missionary come in a few years ago and begin to tell us story after story after story of healing that was going on in his mission country. And he said, but I come to America and I can't get anybody healed. The Holy Ghost is working. Now in America, this is what he has done. It began in Azusa Street in 1901. Shortly thereafter, two world wars followed the release of the Spirit. Another movement was identified as the charismatic movement that began in the 1960s. That was followed by another cultural uprising. There was the Vietnam War, the drug era, free love, and moral relativism came on the scene. Then in the 1980s, another wave that's called the third wave of the move of the Holy Spirit seemed to be released in America. What followed that? A revolution of sorts 
with respect to the way music was done, the technology, the medical epidemic such as AIDS, but a spiritual revival of sorts preempted in America these cultural changes. Then by 1995, another outpouring occurred of the Holy Spirit, and it was underway in a place called Brownsville, Florida, in an Assembly of God church. That lasted for two years as the Spirit of God operated in a very deep way. And the people humbled themselves and went into a spirit of seeking revival. And the Holy Spirit was there for two years, ministering, people coming from all over the world. Well, what happened? 9-1-1-2001. There was a terrorist attack on American soil that struck the Twin Towers of New York City. Again, the Holy Spirit was working ahead of the problem. Many weren't watching. Many were denying but the Holy Spirit had revealed himself again in the land. He was working ahead of the problem. Then with that, was followed by the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. America was in need, severe need of spiritual undergirding. In the meantime, along the American landscape, we have witnessed much decay. The decays in our morals and values to which our culture has adhered, adheres in such ways as... Uh, my mother was 99 when she passed away. She said she had never seen anything to resemble what was going on in our land. The political landscape, of course, has completely changed. We've gone from talking about a republic to going to talking about a, a, a democracy. The social landscape certainly is under construction. Social justice, diversity, equity, inclusion are front burner topics in our day. Gender identity has had a major impact upon families, education, and communities. And of course, we know about the political rhetoric that is ongoing, that is uh, dangerous from all, all ends. So where is the next move of the Spirit recorded? Well, that happened in the great state of Kentucky at Asbury Seminary. Uh, in 2023. It was a brief meeting, but it drew a very high attendance. Over 200,000 is reported. And they came from 15 different countries to experience what was happening during this time of worship. What a wonderful moment in time. Now, this moment in time, as successful as it appeared, was closed down by the school itself because they deemed it necessary to get back to their identified role of educating their students. Of course, they missed probably one of the greatest educational opportunities that those kids, that community, and our world could have ever experienced that was ongoing right in their midst. Well, the scripture declares this to be so. The education of the Holy Spirit according to 1 John 2, 27 and 28, is paramount. But the anointing which we have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things that is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his, as his coming. He said he would dwell with you and shall be in you. But yet, the process of education was more important than the ministry of the Spirit. 
Now, of course, there have been other great revivals that have had charismatic ministries in places like Canada and other areas of the United States. The question is, why has such an outpouring always seemed to precede a major cultural event? And those major cultural events have often had devastating outcomes. Has God revealed the Holy Spirit in such powerful ways at various crossroads in American history with purpose and intent? America, whether we want to believe it or not, and we must learn to accept this as fact, is the last stronghold, my mother called it bastion, of the gospel message. It is the cultivator of the message of missions that are going around the world and men that are going around the world to preach the gospel and having signs and wonders follow their ministry. When America goes under attack, regardless of the genesis of the attack, God provides the Holy Spirit in a greater outpouring. He's pouring it out so that the church can know. Now watch this. That what seems to be exposing itself as a mountain, when opposed by the Spirit, that mountain will always, always, always become a plain. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that's formed against thee shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Many would say, well, now we have to equate that along with it being a message to Israel, and we don't, because it called about the servants of the Lord who were brought into righteousness, and their righteousness being of him, that includes you and me, and the Lord said it. So will there be another outpouring? This is a great question. Undoubtedly, the answer to that is absolutely yes. Why? Because history tells us that God has done so at every major junction of cultural deconstruction or restructuring or cultural issues over the last 100 years in this country. So we have his word on it. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 17 and it shall come to pass in the last days saith God I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Joel 2 28 and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. That however is not the question. There is a question that looms larger and greater with each passing moment. Who is it going to be that is seeking this outpouring when it comes? Who will allow the outpouring to minister to them when God defines the time and the place for which it will happen? Who will translate this opportunity into their spiritual economy and allow the Spirit to accomplish what it has been released to accomplish. Now watch what I'm about to say. Here's one thing we know based upon history that has been revealed. Those who oppose the move of the Holy Spirit will continue to oppose the Spirit. 
When God determines to release His Spirit in ways that produce marvelous signs and wonders, those who desire to remain unattracted, unattached, and deny the work of the Holy Spirit will continue to do just that. Someone asked me a few years ago around COVID, will will things ever return to normal? And what they were asking me was, are we ever going to go back to business the way it was before COVID-19? Are we ever going to have this freedom of, of, of opportunity of run? Are we ever going back to the way it was? My friend, I'm not looking to go back to the way it was. I don't want to go back to the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and go through everything again that I have just described for you that came out of those eras. We're not going back to that. We need to set our mind on this thought. The Holy Spirit has been and will be released by God for those who are seeking Him for those who are looking for Him, and for those who are willing to allow Him to minister to them so that Jesus Christ can operate through them. If He does, then our world will be activated to be introduced to the Jesus Christ who went to the cross, went to the tomb, rose from the dead, became the high priest over his own sacrifice, is Lord over all, and is the man in the Godhead bodily who is sitting ready to minister through you and me. Our world is always going to operate in a catalytic downward turn. But the Holy Spirit is coming to not only seal, but to mark and use those who are equipped for the ministry, those who are looking for revival, those who are looking for the move of the Holy Spirit, those who are willing to be used in the fashion that he began to use Jesus Christ and that he began to use the apostles, and that he began to use Paul, and the, as all of the cataclysmic things happened around Jerusalem, he dispersed this thing out into the world, and he's looking for people who are waiting and listening to his voice. And as they hear, the Spirit of God will begin to do a great work and peace will come into your life, and power will come into your life, and presence will come into your life, and a witness will come into your life that will tell the world why all that's going on around you does not break you down to where you are in tears and fear. No, no, I'm in perfect peace because my mind is stayed on Him. We know that those churches that have denied everything that I have already shown you from the Word of God, that teach against everything that I'm already telling you and showing you and proving to you from Scripture, well, they're not going to be prepared and neither are their people. That's what's so sad about this thing. 
They're not going to be prepared for what's coming. They're not going to be prepared. Why not? Because they are not operating in the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. They are not being comforted by Jesus Christ. What do you mean, Pastor? He said, if I go away, I'm going to send another one just like me. And when he did on the day of Pentecost, how did they know he was there? They began to speak in another tongue. That was the evidence of the occurrence. And those on the outside could not tell what they were saying on the inside, but they heard. What did they hear? They heard about a wonderful work of God. Peter then coming up began to speak. What was Peter telling them? Well, he very well could have been interpreting the wonderful work of God that was produced in them as he stood up in front of the twelve and began to challenge them and say, these are not drunk as ye suppose and tell them about a man that had been approved. Glory to God by God. What happened? They crucified him. He rose from the dead. He went to the tomb. He rose from the dead. He became the man who was the high priest over his own. Peter preached it all. He became Lord. And now he sits at the right hand of majesty and has produced the promise of God. And that's what you're hearing happen here. Oh, my friend. Peter preached an awesome message. Peter preached a message that had never been preached before. Is it possible that what Peter preached was the interpretation of what went on in the upper room? I do not know. I just know that Peter became an entirely different man of God whenever he got the endowment with power from on high because he stood in front of those that crucified them and said, you are guilty. You've crucified the Lord of glory. Think about that. Where'd all that strength come from, my friend? <laughs> it came right out of the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ speaking through him to those people. He said, now what must you do? You must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin. Someone says, now are you propagating that baptism? I've already told you that. No. No, that was to the Jews. But I want you to understand, there are going to be people that are going to cry and whine about what's going wrong. And they're going to cry out, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And we saw that already happen when Jesus spoke to the Jews about what was going to happen to them whenever the world fell in around them in Jerusalem and they were dispersed. He said, pray that it's not in the winter. Pray that you're not uh, with a with, uh, child. Whatever it happens, run. Get out of here. Disperse. Go. Where are you going to go? Our time is not there. We are not being dispersed with the Holy Spirit to go into other worlds. Not at this time. No, no. We are standing at the crossroads of that last day that Peter speaks about and that Joel speaks about. We're standing right there today. 
Now, my friend, there are going to be those that are going to cry and they're going to whine. They're going to wonder, where is God? Why didn't God? How come I'm stuck here? I'm under oppression. I, I, I got saved. And we're going to wonder, why God? Why God? And they'll attempt to provide absolutely every ounce of intellectual resistance to these culture switches that are occurring. And they'll clutch their Bible and continue to deny the work of the Holy Spirit. What a sad thing. They'll stay in churches that cannot help them, listening to messages that cannot minister to them, trusting people that have no word of revelation to give them. Well, my friends, as always, I've used up my time tonight. You need to listen. This message may not reach into every platform, but if it reaches your ear, you need to go to God and you need to seek revival in the Holy Spirit. You need to do it and you need to begin it now. Many of you have gone different places. You've left Pentecost. You've followed here. You've gone there. You've gone over here. You've searched and searched and searched and searched. And once you knew Pentecost, once you knew how to operate in the Spirit of God, and you walked away from him for whatever the reason. You had got hurt at church. You had a church split. Your pastor passed you. Whatever the case may be. My friend, now is your moment to come back and get yourself right with Almighty God. And to get in the Spirit of God. And do it now. Father, I pray that you will minister to your people. I pray that as you minister to your people that we might hear your word. That we might hear the Spirit of God as it ministers in us. And we might begin to seek revival. And that revival being an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that falls upon one. And that's me. Bring it to me, Father. Bring it to me. Bring Him to me. And as you do, I will expect to have the same evidence flow out of me so I'll know you're there. And as that evidence comes out of me, I will know that from that moment forward, Jesus Christ Himself will reside, He will abide, and He will speak out of me, and then I can truly become a witness unto you. I praise you now and bless you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Most off God, I thank you. I thank you for truth. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, my Facebook friends, may God richly bless you. We will talk to you again probably tomorrow as we do uh, session four on this. Uh, so good night. God bless you. Wednesday night. Uh, my friends on podcast, we'll be back tomorrow with session four on this. May God bless you. <laughs> May you find him as the man in the Godhead bodily. He'll show you great and mighty things that are to come. God bless you.